may be seated. Ooh, front row. <laughs> well, hello, church family. I like the response. Whoa, calm down. Okay. So uh, there's been a lot happening. I want to catch you up in case you don't know. Uh, last week, as you know, uh, some of you were here for the VBS program. It was beautiful. The kids were learning to shine the light. We had probably 30 on stage, uh, which felt like a million, because uh, <laughs> I was up here with them, and in between each song, giving a message, and I don't know if you know this, but I was praying the one time, and, and I was just kind of like this with my foot up, and when I said amen, there's a little hand under my foot, and uh, so God was good, nobody died, or nothing got broken, but uh, it was pretty intense. And I told my wife, this is what it felt like. Has anybody ever seen someone pet a bear or a lion? Like a big one. Like, you know that's cool, but at any moment this could go bad, right? That's what the program was. It was awesome. But you just know at any moment there could be pee up here. So, <laughs> And it was probably me. Okay. All right, you guys, reel it in. Okay. <laughs> We're on, pay, or we're on page, we're on day 63 of pastor, our head pastor, Luke. He's on sabbatical. He had 93. We're on 63. Okay. Just catching you up. Uh, the other thing that we had is Austin took high school, a group of high school students to Bowling Green, Ohio last week and back. And they had an awesome time with Jesus. I'm still waiting to hear the highlights, but he got home last night. He's still recovering. So he is here. He's uh, barely, and then also we had a free yard sale. This, well, it's a free rummage sale, and our community is just so blessed. Thank you to everybody that volunteered. Thank you to everybody that brought stuff to make this happen. Thank you for everybody that took stuff, and uh, even awesome, as the end of it happened yesterday, uh, the Salvation Army truck pulled up and took all the rest, so it was just such a huge blessing. Uh, even hearing these gentlemen's testimony on the truck, they were, it was wonderful. All right, here's another one. Going to um, catch you up on uh, how many of you sang Making Melody in My Heart all week or couldn't get me dancing out of your mind all week, huh? Okay, don't raise your hand. That's weird. Okay. So uh, we're coming up to the 4th of July. You have your families. You've got your sparklers to sign your name. Um, and I, I just was so ready for this Sunday. I wanted to preach about God's government. Do you know that God has a government? God made a government. God made a justice system. God is actually the owner of all the nations. And in Exodus, when the Israelites left Egypt, God established what he wanted his people to be like. Their person, their property, and all of that. And I was so ready to like share with you. And then this week, God wrecked me. And I, I mean like snot bubbles and tears. And um, I can tell you I get it wrong. Serving God, I get it wrong a lot. And so that's really wrecked me and then changed the message. And I'm like, no, I was ready. Um, no, I'm not. Okay, no. No, God totally gave me a new message, and it's a challenge, both for me 
to live out God's love and for the church. I mean, last week the message was go shine light, right? How are, and then this week is like a checkup. How are we doing? And I can tell you I failed. So that's what I want. You guys are like, yeah, this is going to get good. This is on Facebook. Okay. We're going to turn in your Bible. If you grab a one there in the front of you, there's a chair Bible. It will also be on the screen, but grab your Bible. It's page 1062, or if you saw John 8. And before you stand, I want to give you something right away, because it even says this right here at the top, okay? And I'm going to read it to you. The earliest manuscript, manuscripts, maybe I can read, uh, the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 7, verse 53 through 811. So the very section that God wanted me to preach on, the early manuscripts, they say it doesn't even have it. I'm like, okay, where are we going? Why is it even in here? And here's the thing. Some of the other early manuscripts, they have it. How many of you know all of God's word is true? Yep. It's here. So it's for us. All right. So if you read that, now you have the Bible open in front of you. You can read it and be like, well, why are we talking about it? Why is it even in here? Because it's so important, and I hope you find you in this story somewhere. Okay, let's stand, and I will read out loud as you read along with me. God's Word, chapter 8. Well, let's start in the deleted text, 753. It says, they went each to his house. And then verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said to, they said to, let me back it up. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you for your gospel, your love, your mercy. And Lord, may we just dive into all of it. Your spirit, your love, your mercy, your grace. And Lord, speak to each of our hearts and let us rejoice for your great love, your great salvation, and your wonderful mercy for us. 
Help us to be your people, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, church family. So this story, I'm going to give you the backdrop, has kind of two beginning and ends. And where we are in the life of Jesus, he is about six, five to six months away from crucifixion. All right? So in those, that five to six months, they're celebrating right here in the Jewish calendar, they're celebrating the Feast of Booths. Or if anybody's heard of it, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. What does that mean? Okay? That means if you were Jewish, God commanded all the Jewish people in Leviticus to go make a tent, a booth, outside of your home and put leaves on it and dried leaves and certain figs and certain branches and put all of this out there and then go for a week and live in it. How many of you would like to camp right outside your house for a week? Okay, you're weird. No. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> like, there, there was only one at 8 o'clock, too, and we're like, no, no. Yeah, so here's the thing. You're right outside your house. This is God's command that you should do this. It starts on Sabbath. It ends on Sabbath. It starts with a rest. It ends with a rest. But it's the Feast of Booth, and even Jews today build a temporary structure outside of their home, and they at least go out one time a day and eat a meal in it. And the whole, the whole purpose of this is God wanted his people to remember by doing this every year, to remember his provisions for them. When they were in the wilderness for 40 years and they were wandering, living in tents and booths, and they're in a desert, what do you think is their first provision that they would need in a desert? Water. Yes, some of you said toilet, so you know you like you to camp differently than me. Okay. The first provision is water. Where did God bring water from? A rock. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. When have you seen that? Right? So God's provision is miracle. They remember the water of the rock that was actually following them. It went wherever they went. So it's like, hey, you guys want to drink? Right? Can you imagine? You imagine this? This is them remembering God's provision came from a rock. What's the other thing you're going to need out in a desert? Shade. That's good. That's, that's you thinking like a tent, canopy, pop-up, 10 by 10, right? I need a screen on that thing. No. The other thing you're going to need is some food. I'd rather have food than shade. I can hold my bread over my head and eat it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Sorry. Matt, thank you for always answering. I'm sorry, I just... Where did God bring the bread? Yeah, manna. So they're remembering the water, the bread, and then here's the other cool thing. At night, do you remember what God had in the sky? A pillar of fire. You have light in the dark. I mean, it's pitch black. I don't know. If I've been to Arizona, meteor shower, September. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. Like, pitch black, beautiful. How many of you know that just a little bit of light is awesome? 
and then it's like, wait, there's scorpions everywhere. Shut out the light. Yeah. <laughs> no, the pillar of fire at night. One, it's warmth. Two, it's safety. It's God's presence. So they're in this booth and they have light. They have candles. So in this time frame of the Feast of Booths, this is where Jesus is. He's celebrating this feast. Okay? Now, in this feast, there's certain ceremonies. How many of you know God loves to come wreck a ceremony? Yeah, okay. Some of us, God loves to wreck our religion and just enter him in as him. He can wreck it, he can blow it up, and he can say, hold on, you're doing man's ways. Let's get back to God. Period. So here they are. Jesus is at the temple. They're celebrating the Feast of Booths. It has in it water. Right outside of the temple is a pitcher. I can't even say a pitcher. It's a hot tub with 144,000 gallons of water. This is what the priests used to wash to get ready to do their sacrifices. I mean, they take a basin of water, and then on the Feast of Booths, this is when they cleanse the water. They go down to the Pool of Shalom, and all the priests are like carrying water, and they're like, remember the Lord's provision! Water from a rock! And I mean, I'm just making this up, but this is in my mind what's going on. And they do go to the Pool of Shalom and fill the water. That's, I'm not making that up. What they're saying is my interpretation. <laughs> like, come on, I got some water. Now, with that being said, can you imagine Jesus during the ceremony standing up? I'm the living water. Anybody that comes to me will never thirst. Hold on. What? They got buckets of water, 144,000 gallons. And Jesus is wrecking their ceremony. Not only is he wrecking it, he's standing up and saying, the very water that you're carrying, the very provision that you need, is right here. Do you think they might be a little upset with that? Hey, you can't talk in church. Hey, what you, this is our ceremony, Jack. Get out of here. This is what they've done over and over. Their water buckets, their everything. Here's the other cool thing. In the temple, there is menorahs and there is lights. And on the Feast of Booths, they light it up as if it was the pillar. You got me? You want to know how many candles, how many lights they had going? It just glowed. If you were in the, around Jerusalem, you would just see this temple glowing all week. And now picture Jesus. This is their ceremony. We're remembering the provision that God had a pillar of fire. And Jesus stands up and he says, I'm the light of the world. Anybody that comes to me will not walk in darkness. Hold on, Jack. What? Well, his name ain't Jack. We know it's Jesus. but All right, Jack. <laughs> but can you imagine how ticked off these Pharisees are? This guy is wrecking our ceremony. We're supposed to do this. This is what they would be thinking. We're supposed to do this so that when the Messiah comes, he would be a light to the Gentiles. Who are you? Right? They're mad at him for saying he is the light. And you know what? He's the light to the Gentiles. 
but they had a ceremony. They weren't letting him in. And they're like, and even his own brothers, before they went, because every Jewish male had to go to the temple three times a year, commanded by God. Sometimes they would send a representative from their own house. But three times a year, Passover, Feast of Booths. So this isn't just 20 people standing around at this festival. This is like tens of thousands of people seeing the same festival every year and every year. And all of a sudden, someone's standing up and changing it. And they're like, who is that guy? That's Jesus from Galilee. That's Jesus from Nazareth. Does anything good come from there? Right? That's their first. Does a prophet come from there? They start dissing him. Even his own brothers, before they went to present themselves, Jesus' brothers are like, why don't you go up to the temple, bro? Huh? Show yourself. Nobody does these things in secret. Why don't you go show everybody who you are? And it's like mocking him. And he says, it's not yet my time. You guys go on ahead. He doesn't even travel with them because they're mocking him six months from his crucifixion. Now, on the last day of that feast, it's Sabbath. It's rest. Where do the people go after being in a booth and being at temple? What does it say? 753 says, they went home. <laughs> Let's get out of here, right? I'm, I'm tired of the booth. But it's also Sabbath, so they can't travel very far. If you're a Jewish male, it was limited. You can't do that work, so they didn't travel very far. Where does Jesus go? Yes, Mount of Olives. When it's dawn, where did he go? The temple. It's his father's house. Right? Remember when he, he was 12 years old? He's like, I'm going to be in my father's house. Why would you look for me anywhere else? So when everybody else went home, he went back to dad. And the Bible says, and then while he's there, he sits down. Right? And for us, it's like, what? Okay. Have a rest. That is their signal to everybody that's on the Temple Mount that a teacher is about to begin a lesson. It's like, whoa, we're having class. And everybody flocks to that teacher. Do you think a lot of people would have flocked to the guy that said he's the living water and he is the light of the world? Do you think they would have come to listen to a little bit of what he wanted to say or how he was going to say it? Okay, the answer is yes. Good job, Eric. Yeah. You got 10,000 men, Jewish men, and you got some guy yelling during their ceremony, and he gets ready to teach? I want to go see what he has to say. And you know what? This is the perfect opportunity for the Sadducees. They're like professional lawyers of the first five books of the Bible. Sadducees and then the Pharisees are like the religious leaders that can also be a judge and condemn you, stone you. So this, when he sits down, they're like, this is the perfect opportunity for everybody, these, let's say 10,000 people, to see that we're going to trick him, we're going to trip him up, and we're going to show that he's nothing. Jesus is teaching Sunday school, and how rude, they just bust in. I mean, it, I don't know if you know this about their culture, you don't even do that on a tour, it's rude. I mean, it's just so disrespectful. They just bust in, but you can see that they have an intention 
to trip him up and make him nothing. And so in the scripture, it said, they come in, in verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, the law commands us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? Right, so he's sitting down, they come in, they got this lady, and you know what he does? He doesn't say a word. He just leans over, starts writing with his finger in the ground. Now I want to tell you, here's the trick. Here's the tip. The law does say when someone is caught in adultery to take them and stone them. It does say that. But it says the man and the woman. Where, who, how many did they bring? Who did they bring? The woman. They didn't even bring the man. If this woman's caught in the act, what'd they do with the guy? What? So now you can start to figure out, okay, maybe they hired this guy to trick this woman so they could bust in, catch him in the act, take her before Jesus to trip him up. But where's the guy? They pay him off, let him go. Hey, good job. And do you see that they're missing something already, right? And Jesus doesn't even answer him. Just starts writing. And they, they get kind of agitated. It says they keep asking him. Like, well, what do you say? What are we supposed to do? What do you say? He doesn't answer. And finally, he stands up. And he says, those without sin cast the first stone. And then it says he leans right back over and just starts writing. Nobody knows what he's writing. There's a trick. They're trying to trap him. Here's the trap. If he says kill her, the law of Moses says it, and he says stone her, and I'm not talking about what's legal. I'm talking big rocks thrown at this person. That's stoning. If he says to do that, now he's in opposition with Rome. They were not allowed to kill and execute their own people. So if Jesus says, yes, follow the law of Moses, now he's in opposition to Rome. If Jesus says, no, let her go, he's in opposition to the law. Do you see the trap? Have you ever... Think with me. Jesus is a Jewish boy. Jesus obeyed the law and fulfilled it completely. Should a good Jewish person stone this woman? The Bible says according to two or three witnesses, that matter could be established. There's a group of men. There's more than one. There's two, there's three, there's many. And yes, a Jewish custom says, yes, take out the rocks. Yes, stoner, but let's go get the dude too. And we're going to do the same to him. And that would be Jesus fulfilling the law. Do you know he did? But just you without sin cast the first stone. Can you imagine with me what he's writing? I think he's writing their sins. 
Here's the cool thing. When God was on Mount Sinai and given Moses the law, he too with his finger scribed. Jesus with his finger, he's just writing like Seth, liar, cheater, hater, murderer. And I see my name. Do you think I can, do you think I could launch the first rock? It says the oldest to the youngest started to drop the rocks and walk away. So church, the ladies left there. I'm going to turn around. There's a heart on it. Okay. <laughs> the ladies left there, and she, Jesus looks at her, and he says, Woman, where are your witnesses? According to the law, how many do you need? Where are they? And what does she say? None. The only person standing there that was without sin, that could have picked up a stone and thrown it at her, you know it was Jesus, correct? He's the only one that can throw one. But here's what God says. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but that through him he might save it. And so he gets to fulfill the law by letting her go because there's no witness. You're free. The law is not on you. You're free. You have grace. He says, go and sin no more. Oh. How many of you know that freedom? And I, I put myself in this place, but then I say I'm that woman, and then that doesn't sound right. I am condemned for my sin and my punishment my guilt, everything is on me, and Jesus himself could be the one that picks up the rock, but that's the gospel. He sets it down and he says, where's your witnesses? There isn't one. The accuser is silenced when Jesus steps in. Sometimes the hardest part is silencing in our own head. But Jesus is not condemning the world I hope you can find yourself in this story. Hopefully you've been the one condemned and you've been pardoned. Do you know what else is in God's law? A redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, a family member. Jesus in the flesh can come and redeem you and purchase you and pull you out of your debt and pull you out. Read Ruth. It's all about the redeemer. He can come and he can say he's fully man, our brother, our kinsman. And God's law says he can redeem and pay the full price. I have a kinsman redeemer who paid it for me. That's Jesus. That's our gospel. That's the good news. That's the whole world can be set free. But guess what? You know where I find myself in this story often? I'm the Pharisee, I'm the scribe. I know God's word, and I'm just ready to throw it at this world and say, you're condemned, and you're condemned, and you're judged, and you're guilty, and you're guilty. But that's not why he came. The Jesus in Seth Bowker isn't the judge. He's the gospel preacher. The Jesus in me shouldn't be a Pharisee, shouldn't be a scribe, shouldn't be throwing stones. The Jesus in me should be over there do you know there's a kinsman redeemer? 
Do you know that you can be not guilty? Do you know that you can be healed? What's wrong with me? Does the knowledge of God's word lead you into a deeper intimacy with him? Or does the knowledge of God's word help you be the judge? Say it again. Does the knowledge of this book help you rescue a soul? Or does the knowledge of this help you condemn a world? Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save. And the Jesus in me is so disappointed in my Pharisee. The Jesus in me is so disappointed in my own scribe that I know the law. And I know that when people are in front of me, I prefer to throw the rock than to love them. And he wrecked me this week because I was judging. Wrecked me that I had this in my hand instead of this with love. That's why there's a heart. Because every time I want to go pick it up, remember, I was the one ready to be stoned and I found mercy. I was the one ready to be condemned and Jesus rescued me. So if he could do it for me, why can't I hand that out? There was a woman, a person in front of me this week that was just broken. And I picked up the stone. Don't you know this? Don't you know that? And God silenced my mouth. And he broke my heart. And I got to reach out. And I got to be Jesus in the story. I wasn't the Pharisee and I wasn't the woman, but I was a hand saying, do you not know that the cross redeems us from all sin? Do you not know that the cross redeems us from any sin, any guilt, any shame? Run to him. The same thing, I failed. I was, Wednesday, there was a free, I mean, we had a free rummage sale, but Wednesday, there was a, actually Thursday. See, I don't even know what day. Okay, today's Monday, right? Okay. <laughs> this week, there was a free food giveaway. I got a call, and a couple of guys here went and helped. And you know what? I had to drive from here to another church to go help give away free food. Boxes and boxes. Here's the one catch. You had to lift 50 pounds, so I barely made it. And you know what? There was a line of 30 cars right here on Main Street ready to receive free food. Right? And I'm driving past 30 cars, and I'm counting them because when I get in there, I'm going to report, hey, we got 45 minutes to go. There's 30 lined up outside. Like, this is going to be a big deal. And you know what? I started judging them. I mean, there's a Lincoln in line. I'm like, door dang, whoop, no. I'm like, <laughs> My brain ain't right, folks. And you know what? I was shared this with Pastor Pam as our secretary. When I got back, I'm like, there was a line of 30 cars. There was a Lincoln in line. There was, like, there's cars cost more in my house in line for free food. And my scribe and my Pharisee brain took over. 
And Pastor Pam said so kindly, oh yeah, Seth, I helped one time too, and a Lincoln pulled up. And the, I judged him. What are you doing driving that car? And the lady got out and said, I barely made it. I need food. Someone let me borrow their car just to come. Thanks. Pull that knife out of my heart, Pam. Wait, I said that bad. It was good. <laughs> God was convicted me that this is who I am. This is what I pick up. This is what I start judging the world with. And I can tell you, yes, I know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, the word of God is breathed out by God and it's profitable for rebuke, for correction, for reproof, so that the men and women of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I get that when we're in church and we're in groups, we hold each other accountable to God's Word. But when we're ministering to the world, we cannot beat them down. We must lend a hand and say, do you know my Savior? Do you know the Lord bends and binds up the brokenhearted? Do you know that those who sit in dark, there's a great light. Run to Him. There's hope. Or do I say, hey, clean up your act? And then maybe you can get to know Jesus. Is that what he told me? I hope you find yourself in the story. Maybe through my failure, God could make us, makes me better, makes us a better church for anybody that walks through the doors. And church, love them. Here's the cool thing about our Savior. Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a high priest who is able and understands every way in which we're tempted. There's different versions say it a different way. The King James says it this way. We have a high priest who is able to be touched by our infirmities. He feels it. I like that because the Savior in me is wanting me to go out to a world and feel the darkness in their life, feel the pain, but remind them where the light is. Remind them where the water is. Remind them the provision that God has provided a Savior for the whole world. And if anybody knows brokenness and hurt and pain better than any of us, it's Jesus. Isaiah 53 says, He was crushed. He was broken. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. We saw him and we despised him. We rejected him. We spit on him. We pulled on him. We crucified him. And yet he loved us. While I was still a sinner, he died for me. And he says, that's the rescue. That's the gospel. Go preach it. Lay down your stones. Lay down your rocks. It's not time for this. It's time for mercy. It's time for love. And the world wants to know a church that doesn't just have the rock. They got the rock of Jesus. We have the provision. What do we lack? Nothing. The love of Jesus in here. The cool thing is, is Jesus was never about numbers. He gave this message to 11 people. 
and they completely deserted him. He gave his very spirit to what? 200 witnesses? And it changed our world. He didn't go for the millions. What about the one? The one person standing in front of you. Your family. Oh, you know what? Sometimes it's your spouse, your children. Oh, yeah, honey, you didn't pay that bill and you could throw the rock. Oh, you didn't, you messed up and oh, you can throw those rocks. But who wants to be married to a judge? Who wants to be married to someone that hands out mercy? Oh, and our kids, oh, you did this wrong, and oh, performance, and oh, you messed up, and where's your homework, you F-bomb, you F-bomb, no, you bombed an F, you, okay, <laughs> you didn't do good on a test, <laughs> D-minus is not a grade they like to give out, let's re-record that, okay, let's just say you flunked it, did you try your best, because Family, let me tell you, it's not about performance. It's not about performance. Titus 3.5 says, God saved us, not because of the good that we've done, but because of His great mercy. He didn't save us because we performed good. He saved us because we were a wreck. We were condemned and we were ready to die. He saves us because of His great love. So it's not about performance. Nobody did it. There's no one perfect. No, not one. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. You get it? We're all in the same boat. Not about performance. It's about my position. I'm his child. I'm his son. Oh, hand out that kind of love to your family. It doesn't matter how you perform, son. I'm going to love you because you're my son. It doesn't matter how you perform. You could, I told my daughter, you could be on death row for murder. Dad's going to love you because you're my daughter. And he probably deserved it. No. <laughs> That's too far, Jenny. Family... Why are we trying to make an evil world perform? Why are we trying to make the darkness be the light? Why? You know what they'll respond to? Not our judgment. They'll respond to our hand of love, kindness. This is how a world will know we're Christians. This is how Jesus knows we're disciples. It's by our love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for piercing our hearts. Thank you for wrecking our religion and giving us a relationship with you that is positional. You even tell us for all that believe, you've given us the right to become sons and daughters, children of God. We have your divine nature and we lack nothing. Give us the strength, Lord, through your Holy Spirit 
to hand out mercy and love. Help us to do it with truth. The truth that you're rescuing a world that you are challenging your people to be holy and pure and to stay unspotted from the world. And Lord, the spots are in our own thoughts. The spots are in our own hearts. We need your help. We are desperate to shine your light. Give us your strength. Give us your spirit. And break us where we fail and humble us and let us run back to you. Thank you for loving us all the way back. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing a wonderful song. All hail King Jesus.